Welcome to Local Wool, a podcast for conscientious makers. I'm Anastasia Williams, and this is episode 16. Today's episode is Janet Garman of Timber Creek Farm. Janet, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really glad to be here. It's nice to meet you and to get a chance to talk to you about sheep. Yes, I'm super excited. So just kind of to to start off the, of course, the broad sweeping general question of, could you just tell us about yourself and what it is that you do? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, we live in Maryland and um, I am a writer by, you know, trade, I guess. Um, and we raise sheep, uh, fiber goats and ducks and chickens. And we have pigs on the property. Uh, we've raised beef cattle in the past. Um, we've raised horses, um, when the kids were younger and did horse competitions. And, um, basically if it has, you know, four legs or two legs, we've probably at some point harbored it on our farm. Um, (laughs) I do love the fiber animals. That's uh, pretty much what led me into a lot of things that I do now. Um, And then I write when I'm not at the farm, I'm probably writing. Yeah. And I mean, you, you've written a whole lot and um, we'll get into that also, but it's, Mm -hmm. It's really impressive, actually. So um, so how did you come to have, like, the homestead that you have today? Well, I feel like we were super blessed about that. Um, my husband's family owned a big piece of property, where which is connected to our family business. Um, it's a sawmill. It's an industrial sawmill. So we sell large pieces of timber and heavy lumber to construction sites. But around this is an entire tree farm that we harvest from hardwood hardwood fi- uh, forest. So um, every few years we have to go in and, and cut down the mature trees that are ready to be harvested so that the young younger trees have a chance to grow. And it reduces the chance of um, forest fires. Um, so anyway, we already had this big piece of property and it had been kind of left to go to ruin a little bit. So, uh, the kids wanted horses, my daughter, especially, and we kind of said, well, let's see if, you know, granddad's okay with you taking over a piece of the property and we put up a barn and eventually we, um, bought the property from the family members. And so we have, we have this really wonderful blessing and just over the last 30 years we've just slowly cleared it and you know put up a structure here and there for the animals and a feed shed and you know that kind of stuff so it's it's um it's been wonderful because I always wanted to have a livestock farm and that's what I studied in college and I didn't think that I would ever have the chance to do that so I've always looked at it as an incredible blessing yeah that's that's really neat so how did I mean when what kind of started your fascination I guess with with kind of livestock like a livestock farm well I'm not really sure because I grew up in a small town very suburban upbringing um I just always loved animals and I told my parents I wanted to study agriculture and they were just like, why, (laughs) (laughs) you know, haven't we done enough for you kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know, that's, that was their era. You know, they were trying to get their era grew up and tried to get away from the farm. And and here I was going, "Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I think I want to get back to that. So anyway, Um, I went to University of Maryland. I have a degree in uh, animal science and agriculture. And, um, and then I went to work in the legal field. So, um, yeah, because apparently I couldn't really pay the bills working for farms and I was on my own. So um, I worked in the legal field until we had our family. And then when they started to grow up, we started building the farm. 
So that's oh. kind of how that all came to be. My mom's like super proud of me now because she's like, you actually went back and did what you wanted to do all along. So it's kind of neat to have your mom say that to you. It is. It is. That's got to be so gratifying. <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought that would never happen, but because she's definitely <laughs> a suburban mom. <laughs> yeah, and it is interesting, I think, too, to see kind of how there's just that you're right that there was a shift of, you know, there was kind of an agriculture or in some families, right? You have an agricultural mm-hmm. background and then those kids tried to move away from that. And now kids are going back into it. And I think that's still a continuing trend from what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. I see it more and more and I think it's great. But yeah, um, it's, and, and I think it's wonderful that, you know, even the, even the older generation, I'm not young. I'm talking, my mom is definitely uh, elderly lady now. Um, you know, for her to, to look at life and say, yeah, there's, there actually is a lot to that. You know, I wanted to get away from it because that's how I was raised, but there is a lot to it. So yeah, um, it's kind of nice. Yeah. So now you said that you have like a particular fascination for fiber animals. Now question, mm-hmm. do you, do you do any fiber arts yourself? Yes, I do. And I think that's one of the reasons that led me to want to um, raise fiber animals mm. was I my learned from my nana who was my mother's mother all kinds of needlework uh, crocheting knitting tapestry needlepoint um, anything my nana could do it all and um, and so I learned that from her and I always loved it um, so I think as an adult you know once I had the chance I was like you know I'd really really love to have animals that can yield fiber that we can use for yarn and uh, I had no idea what I was saying because I really (laughs) didn't know what that meant (laughs) but um, you know we have more sheep than goats now but what we started with was the pygora goat which is an angora pygmy cross that's a fiber goat Um, and I got those because I was afraid that I didn't know enough about sheep to keep them alive because you know you hear those statements like you know um sheep will just get sick and die and you know kind of things that kind of scare you off when you haven't had them before and uh I was thinking oh my I shouldn't start with sheep you know I'll end up killing them and um (laughs) um so I got goats because they're supposedly hardier and 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 they were and we we were registered breeders for the breed and had quite a few in our herd um and then I decided one day a local man had way too many border luster sheep on his property. And he asked my husband if I wanted any. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Like, so we brought them in and they were not the healthiest because he had overcrowded. And so um, we did lose one and the other two lived quite a long life and um and then I just kept getting more sheep and letting the goats kind of attrition out. So everybody that comes here usually stays. We rarely have had a had to give an animal back to the person we got it from or to another home. Um, we have always found a way for them to stay. So everybody lives here. That's <laughs> impressive, actually. I mean, I, yeah. Well, it I is, can... but we don't breed anymore, so that makes it a little easier too. Mm, so. Okay. Yeah. Because if you're so breeding, is... you have to kind of have a place for everybody, you know, and that can get out of hand really fast. So I want to make sure that's really clear oh, to your listeners yeah. that you know, if you are breeding, you need to have a marketing plan because you can't just. I mean, even I say marketing plan like it's a big deal, but you know, you better know your market because you do not want to end up with 15 kids on the property if you're breeding goats. You know, you, it can get crazy really fast. And then overcrowding yeah. can lead to other problems. So um, I just want to make that point clear. Yeah, no, that is a That's a really good one. So um, in total, kind of what it, what does your what does your livestock farm look like? What do we have on the on the farm? So we have nine sheep. Um, most of them are fin. And then we have uh, three pygoras left, and we have two Nigerian dwarf goats that were a gift. So, and then we have um, 
a lot. You know what the number a lot is. It's a lot of chickens. Um, <laughs> I really can't tell you how many there are. They move too quickly. Um, and I think we have seven ducks. They're a little slower moving, so I can count those. Um, and we have three pigs right now. And they're our original um, breeders, um, breeding stock. So we have two sows and one boar, which, which provide us with cute little piglets every Aww. six months or so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cute. <laughs> so that's currently where we are. Okay. So let's, let's start with the sheep, of course. Uh So, um, so you did mention you have primarily fin sheep Uh and do you have any other breeds right now? Um, I also have a baby doll South down, um, one Rambouillet U and two, um, they're Lester Longwool Romney cross lambs that I got last summer. So they're coming up to their year, uh, first year, and um, they're adorable. I love the Romney face. Um, oh yes. You know they're just they're just like that classic full fleece face, and they're so fun to look at. Um, and they're oh. sweet. They're really sweet little weathers. Um, so that's the that's the total. That's nine of those. That's cool. So what? How did you come by the breeds that you have? Like, were they active choice? Um, I know you said you got a couple as a gift, but like for the most part, what's the decision-making process when you pick Mm -hmm. your breeds? Yeah, I think that's something that is really important to discuss too, because you actually should start with what you want to do with the fleece. Um, If you're a knitter, there's certain breeds that are going to give you, you know, a nicer yarn for knitting, crocheting. If you're a weaver, you know, you can look at um, some other breeds that, you know, maybe would even be better for that. And, of course, your your goat, your mohair is going to be good for weavers, too, because the way it blooms. And it also doesn't have the elasticity of the wool. So it gives you a, a little bit more of a stable weaving fabric. Um, a lot of people like it for that reason. Um, I... Did not go into it with a lot of knowledge, to be quite honest. We had the Border Lesters, and, you know, they were a gift from a neighbor. Um, I really wasn't aware of what their fiber was like when I got them. So they were kind of like my practice sheep. Um, And it it was nice, but they weren't the best quality Border Lesters. So, you know, I've seen much nicer Border Lester fleeces than mine were. Um, But it gave me a good start you know at learning the whole process of you know from shearing all the way through the processing of your wool to yarn status um the fins I love I love the fins and I'll be completely honest I did not know what I was getting when I got the fins a friend of mine was moving and she had this flock of fins and she was like you can have any that you want for a good price because we're moving and I can't take any of them. And so I was just like, Oh, great. So I picked, so I picked two and I brought two over. No, actually I brought one. I started small. I brought one. And then she was like, I can't find anyone to take them. You know, I'm just having a really hard time placing them. And I knew they were good because I'd seen her yarn. And I also knew the mill that, processed it so I was like this is good fiber um so I took two more I bought two more from her and then they were getting ready to move and she still had these two weathers and she was like you know are you sure and I'm like Diane I don't know if I can handle anymore you know like I'm not sure if my space will accommodate them or if they're going to be too crowded well I asked around and got some advice that it would be okay so I took two more so now I had five thin (laughs) (laughs) and I was like well they're beautiful sheep and I love them and they're very because she raised them by hand and was very hands-on with them they're very docile so they're Mm. actually like my daily joy to work with them because they are 
they're right there. You know, you go in and they're like, what do you want from us? You know, we're right here. You know, if you try to catch them, they freak out. But if you're just standing there, they're like all over you, like, you know, scratch my ears, <laughs> rub my nose. You know. So they have brought me a lot of joy and I'm really glad I have them. Um, oh. The the Rambouillet was a, a total impulse. I was just like, somebody told me there was a young lady selling her Rambouillet. I looked them up. I was like, they look great. That's a really nice looking breed. I went and bought one. <laughs> and um, so I can tend to be a little impulsive like anybody else, um, even though I usually <laughs> tell people to do their research first. You know, I, I will tell you that and then I will go and pick up <laughs> another truckload of sheep. Um, and the baby doll Southdown was another one. I was just like, enamored with the breed I was like I have got to have some baby dolls you know on my property they are just so darn cute Mm -hmm. and I found somebody selling them and he only had one but I already had sheep so I was like that's cool so I just ended up with baby dolls out (laughs) there hey whatever works right (laughs) so I have a very eclectic flock unfortunately I am not a spinner and the Rambouillet and the Southdown is a very dense, short staple fiber, and it does not um, does not process on the mill that I use. So I usually end up giving that away to hand spinners or using it for needle felting, um, yeah, whatever way I can figure out to use it. Oh sure, sure. And I think that's I think that's just fine. So I mean. We can't all do everything, can we? <laughs> Even though no. we desperately want to. <laughs> no, that is very true. And people say, you know, they're going to, that was the biggest eye opener for me was when we ended up after a couple of years, we had a basement full of, of Pygora fiber mohair of bags, just bags and bags of fiber. Cause they get sheared twice a year. Oh, wow. And, and then when we got the sheep, it was just, it was so out of control and I felt so bad because I couldn't even skirt it fast enough to get it to a mill. I was oh, just man. like, I was totally overwhelmed um, with it. And I just had to kind of clear my schedule. And I probably spent a whole month doing nothing but skirting fleece and mohair to get it sent off to the mill. And, um, you know, in the long run, it was great. I had a lot of yarn come back, but it was, um, it was, a, it was a mistake. You know, I, I should have known better and it was really kind of, an eye opener. I think that, you know, I go, went into it thinking, Oh, I'm going to do the whole process. You know, I'm going to do the mm-hmm. whole thing from raising the animals all the way mm-hmm. to spinning the yarn. <laughs> well, I just have not been able to have enough time to practice spinning to make my yarn products worth selling, you know? Yeah. And you can't do everything. So I had to make a choice and I was like, you know what? I'm going to raise these animals and I'm going to make beautiful yarn I'm going to make things from their beautiful yarn, but I'm not going to actually spin their yarn. I gave that up. I was like, mm, yeah. maybe someday, but not this day. So. Yeah. And I think that I, it, it, it's kind of just a matter of being practical. And I, I have been in the same place. I know when I went to shearing school, so I was starting mm-hmm. to kind of go backwards, right? So I started knitting and then I started uh, dying. And then I started, then I went to shearing school and I'm like, wonder if there's any way like I can have sheep I live in town but maybe I could put them on a friend's farm and then you know like Mm -hmm. going all the way back and it's like okay okay hold on Mm -hmm. hold on hold on (laughs) I know (laughs) it's not gonna happen I still have even in my house I have two spinning whales and a drop spindle I don't know how to use any of them I don't know why I'm (laughs) collecting all this stuff but I am but it's just like there's just not enough time in the day well Um, we're supposed to own those things though right like, I mean, well, we yeah. should... <laughs> how authentic are you if you don't, you know what I mean? <laughs> Gosh. Ah, At least well, I'm covered. So yeah. And I, I love the I love the natural dyes and I love doing that. And it's nice to just get the yarn back or get the fiber back as roving and just be able to dye it at my convenience and not yes. feel pressured. And it's, something that really brings a lot of pleasure, you know, I'm like, it's rewarding for me to work with the colors from nature and just play. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's it's so exciting. Um, so okay, so let's let's talk about let's hone in a little bit on the thin fiber a little bit. Mm-hmm. So sure. Um, can you just tell us about it and kind of what it's best used for in your opinion? Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer it for outerwear. Um, I know some can be processed finer um, to get it, you know, more of a sweater, maybe a next to skin kind of um, level. But um, I, oh, I've usually made, you know, scarves, hats, mittens, shawls, blankets, you know, that kind of, of product with it. Um, I, I think it, it, I crochet more than anything else, and I think it crochets beautifully. It, it doesn't snag. It goes really fast. You know, I just find like my, my yarn anyway, I can just get up some really good speed, which I know that's not necessarily, necessarily a factor. You know, there's no race, but I, I kind of like it when you don't have to really think about what you're doing, you know, it's just kind of relaxing to be making something with your hands. So, um, I, I really like it. Our fin are all white but fin sheep can be other colors. They can be mixed colors too, because they're, um, they're land race sheep. So they, you know, they go way back. Um, so there's all kinds of genetics in their breed. Um, I usually, when we process it, I work really closely with the mill because she's really knowledgeable and she's taught me so much about the fiber. Um, we usually I like a three ply with it. Um, and I find that it usually has worked out to be a three ply DK. So that's kind of the weight that I end up with. We've done a really nice two ply with it also that I've had absolutely no trouble working with. I know some people say, you know, oh, two ply can come, you know, a little bit loose, but I haven't found that to be the case. Um, but that's machine spun. So Okay. Um, maybe that's a difference. You know, it's a, it's a cottage mill. Um, one of the small mills. Um, am I answering this the way you were hoping? For? Yeah. 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 Okay. No, no, that's yeah. good. Um, it's not a long fiber. Like it's not like your Lincoln's. Um, it, it does have a really pretty crimp to it. Um, but it's not tight. It's not at all tight. Like your Merino's. Um, it's kind of this wavy look when it's on the sheep or raw fleece. Um, and I can't believe how white it gets. You know, I think we all say that about our white sheep is, oh my gosh, you know, that sheep was so dirty. (laughs) (laughs) That yarn is so white. How did that happen? Oh my gosh. Um, It's, it's just a beautiful, um, white sheen to it. Um, you know, I don't know. I feel like I really lucked into them because I really didn't know what I know now about the breed when I got them. Oh, sure. Um, Yeah. So I feel like, wow, that was really a good move on my part to take them, you know, buy them. But um, it was kind of, I didn't really know what I was doing either. So. um, Yeah. And I mean, what great things come from knowing what you're doing? Yeah. Really? Really? So. <laughs> you know, and even even the less even the border luster that we had that I didn't love her fiber. It was coarse to me. Um, it still made some nice things. You know, it made some really nice heavy mittens, and you could line them, so they were you know they were fun to work with. It, you can be creative with things um, and come up with some way to use it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, that's really neat. I, I, uh, I think I have, I've got a sheepskin that is a fin, mm-hmm. um, in that we use for a, uh, like a play mat for my baby actually. Mm-hmm. So, um, we really like that. It's actually every animal in the house, uh, every creature, human and otherwise <laughs> seems to like, feel like it is theirs. So yeah. we, we have to, have it like on a rotating schedule. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> My husband's like, we need more sheepskins. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> uh, so what for you, I mean, with all of the stuff that you do, like what does a typical day look like for you? Um, well, they're all busy. I'm never bored. I can tell you that. Like there's just <laughs> never, I don't know what that term means. Um, but I've always been that way. It, not just with farming, but just any time in my life. I've just never really been a bored person. I always find something to do. 
So basically, uh, the first thing in the morning is I'll, you know, kind of stumble around until the coffee kicks in and, um, and then uh, do a little bit of work. If it's not too late in the morning, I'll do a little bit of work, um, either catch up on emails or something like that, blog related. Um, and then head down to the barnyard and get everybody going for the day. Um, that usually typically takes me at least an hour if it's just the basics. And a lot of times, especially on a nice day, I'll find something I need to get into, you know, either fences that need fixing or cleaning out the chicken coops or, you know, whatever. And I just like the animals to be out roaming around when I'm doing that. So it's kind of fun (laughs) or crazy, depending on the day. Um, when they realize that the chickens have food and they don't, you know, they're trying to get into the chicken coop to (laughs) eat the food. That's kind of not fun, but, (laughs) um, and then in the afternoons that usually pretty much most of my mornings are like animal care and just the farm upkeep, um, maybe, you know, quick errand or something like that. And then in the afternoons, I pretty much devote it to, um, either writing or dyeing. If I have dye or dye yarn orders, um, I'll just get out the, you know, get the dye kitchen going. I have it out on my screen porch and I'll just get, you know, things going out there and then maybe do some computer work while things are soaking. Um, you know, the, the nicer weather of course makes me want to be outside dying even more in the afternoons, you know, just having pots going is fun. And, yeah. and, um, you know, I feel like the last three years have been kind of a whirlwind because of the books I was writing, um, in addition to my other writing assignments. So, um, it's kind of been a little bit of a blur. There's been a lot of writing (laughs) going on. Um, but I do like writing. Um, so it hasn't really been like a hardship. It's not like I really can say, Oh man, I had to write it. I didn't have to write it. I took the job and I was glad for it. And I'm proud of the books that um, we produced and um, you know, so that's basically how my day rolls and um, you know, and then usually it's time to feed again and I'm like, Oh, and dinner. And I didn't even think about that because um, housewife has never been a term I've taken seriously. So (laughs) (laughs) well, let's, let's talk about writing though. I Mm -hmm. mean, um, because you have written like a a lot of stuff. So you've written several <laughs> books and you have a very active blog, which is incredibly informative. We just got chickens for the first time Sunday. I've already sent all of your information to my husband. I'm like, oh, scour good. this, please. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> but has writing always been a passion for you? And I mean, when the heck are you even finding time <laughs> to do this? <laughs> Um, I'm not really sure when it started. I've always liked the challenge of writing. Um, you know, even the, those kind of things like a letter to the editor style things where you're just kind of arguing a point um, to make yourself heard, I guess, a little bit. Um, I like how with writing, you start with like a bunch of jumbled thoughts and you just kind of like, it's almost like you're molding them into something that's kind of how my analogy is because there's always that frustration point where you're like, this is the worst thing I've ever written and I don't know what to do with it. And Mm. then you start to tweak it here and there, or you just take a break and you come back and you're like, well, let me look at it from a different viewpoint. And you know what? Every single one of those horrible articles comes out to be really good in the end where you're like, where I'm like, I am proud of that. I am happy with how that came out and I have no idea how that happened, (laughs) (laughs) but it's just takes, um, as somebody told me when I was first writing, like maybe 10 years ago as an actual job, the hardest part for writing is putting your butt in the chair and keeping it there. Mm. Um, and so a lot of times I just make myself just write down thoughts And just, you know, not even an outline, just, I'm just going to write down everything I can think of about chicken diseases, you know, and just, I'll just start writing. And then I might see like a connection between a couple thoughts and then I'll be like, well, maybe that, you know, maybe that's something I can write about. So, um, the hardest part for writing for me is pitching articles to my editors. 
I actually love it when somebody gives me an assignment and says, here's your challenge, write this. Then I'm like, I can do this. This is great. But coming up with the idea on my own sometimes is the hardest mm. part for me. Or they're sure. like, we, you know, we need articles for next June. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, and what would you like? You know? um. Um, but I really do enjoy it. And like I said, I just find it's a process. You know, I don't sit down and write an article and it's great half an hour later. It's usually two days later, I'm like finally getting it to the point where I'm like, okay, this works. I think this is actually valuable information. So, um, and then of course, when garden season comes along and I'd much rather be outside, um, then it's really hard to put my little backside in the chair and stay there. So. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can understand that completely. Oh, that's, that's really, it's really neat though. I mean, it seems like, what would you say out of like all the things that you write about, like, what do you feel like you have the most, what are you the most of an expert on? Would you think? Hmm. Um, I would say, and this might be exactly the opposite of what you want to hear, but I would say my biggest message for people is to start small and really think about what you want in your life. And so I like to write those kind of articles about choosing directions on the homestead and, you know, what to do if things aren't working out. Um, I really like to encourage people to try this lifestyle, but I also like to give them the kind of the, the little warning bell of, you know, don't do it all at once. You know, I didn't do this all at once. They're like, okay, first of all, we're empty nesters now. Our kids are grown. We have grandchildren. Mm. Um, I don't have to drive kids to soccer anymore. You know, you have to really think about your life and what's going to work for you. Sure. So I, I always like to bring that into what I write a little bit. Like just, you know, um, yeah, you can order 50 chicks from the hatchery. That's great. But, you know, do you have room for that chicken? coop for 50 in your backyard because a lot of people don't um so I like to be pragmatic and I think those are the kind of articles that I like to do um when I look through my writings I've written a lot of articles on specific illnesses and um I don't know roadblocks that you come across and mm. you know I just I, I do those because I feel like they may not be the most popular or most searched for, but if I can just help that one person whose chicken has the same thing going on that mine did, and I can give them a name that they can look at and say, maybe that is it. Let me ask my vet about that. Or let me ask my neighbor who got me into chickens if she's ever seen that. Um, you know, cause Yeah, I think that's great. I think that yeah. I love that because... Yeah. So sometimes I think that, you know, it's so hard to hide, find sometimes the very specific thing you have an right. issue with. And I think we don't, you know, a lot of people new to raising any kind of animal don't realize how important it is to look at them all every day. You don't have to pick them up and go over them head to toe every day. I mean, maybe if you only have two chickens, you can do that. I don't have time to do all of that every day with every animal on the property. But I do put my eyes on every single animal and bird on our property and look at how they're moving, look at how they're holding their head. And it's not even like I really am thinking this through as a checklist. It's almost second nature to me now. But that has saved a lot of lives because I'll be like, wait a minute, he's not standing right. You know, that's not right. Um, something's wrong. And you pick him up and you're like, oh, yeah, you've got a stone between your huff, you know, like or, <laughs> you know, or the chicken's like possibly going into an egg bound status where it's been sitting in the nest all day and you're like why is she still sitting in the nest at four o'clock in the afternoon she was there mm. this morning so you know looking at every single bird and animal I think is key to keeping them healthy yeah that that's that is really good advice especially so, I think especially with birds and other animals really that are flock animals and that mm -hmm. is just for the reason that a lot of them will hide 
their illness is until yep. it's too late. So if right. you really don't keep an eye on them, it's mm-hmm. by the time you notice anything, it's, ugh, yeah, we've and had so the, situations like that. You know, those are the kind of things I like to make clear in my writing is these are how you pick up on these things. You know, it's, you don't pick up on them by opening your coop and going to work and not even looking to see who came out and who didn't. And then, you know, you come home and you're like, I have a dead chicken. And, you know, I'll be like, well, what happened this morning? Were they fine this morning? You know, how long was this process? And they're like, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm like, okay, well, I can't help you now because your chicken's already dead. But <laughs> you might want right. to maybe start thinking about taking an extra five minutes in the morning to make sure they all come out and that they all look normal. And, you know, like you said, with the sheep, um, uh, a sheep who's not feeling well is going to hang back. It's not going to be fighting for a place at the feed trough or at the hay hay bales. Um, It's going to be kind of like a little lost looking and you can pick up on it really quickly. And I like to write those kind of things because I hope it encourages people to, you know, just take that extra step of care. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, yeah, that's, that's really great. It it is nice to not just have a bunch of DIYs kind of as a blog, but like to really give that um, kind of that, well, like you said, like encouragement really of like, hey, you found a roadblock, here's how you get over that roadblock. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what you want to do, here's how to start small so you don't get overwhelmed. I think that's a really good approach to take that allows somebody to be realistic about it, but still work towards achieving those goals of maybe becoming more uh, self-sufficient, which actually Mm-hmm. leads in right into my next question so all right <laughs> so uh so I know a goal for you is to create like a self-sustaining farm for you and your family um and so given today how life is like how much do you think it is realistic to be self-sustaining and like I guess you know is it fully possible? Is it mostly possible? And then, you know, just kind of based on your experience and what you've been able to achieve so far. Yeah. Um, Well, first of all, I mean, I started using the term self-sustaining probably, you know, 10 years ago. And it was, it was a catchphrase from that time period. Um, I still think it's a worthwhile phrase, but I also like the term regenerative agriculture Mm -hmm. because, instead of just taking from our properties and from our animals, we need to also be regenerating like the property that we're on. So, you know, composting, um, rotating your pastures, if you have ruminants, um, just, you know, looking at the whole, the whole picture, the, the whole picture of your property as a whole, you know, like, is it, is it healthy? Are the trees dying? where you know is the water source still good um what are are we doing anything to contribute to things that maybe aren't doing well um i I like to think about that whole process um but i mean i also preach that people should be more self-sufficient um we have got to go back to people knowing how to do things for themselves um whether it's changing your oil in your car changing your tire, if you have a flat tire, um, knowing how to cook a meal. Uh, I'm amazed at how many people don't cook at all. Mm. Like, what are you eating? You know, you're eating food that's already prepared by somebody else. It's gone through so many hands before it reaches your table. I just think that's a huge risk. Um, And we've seen that more and more in the recent um, news stories, you know, with all the recalls of all the products, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're growing your own lettuce in your backyard, you have a really, really low chance that that's going to be contaminated with E. coli compared to yeah. the lettuce that comes from another country through a shipping port handled by who knows how many people before it gets to the grocery store where you pick it up and brought it in your cart where it's then handled once again by the checkout person. (laughs) You know, know, I just think we need to take a step back and make that 
less of the norm and have more people growing their food. Even if it's just a little bit of their food, it's a big step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My dogs just came in and found me. I <laughs> think. <laughs> um, think that we are going to see like we said in the very beginning of our talk tonight I think we're going to see more and more people realizing that they at least better know how to do things you know they they need to maybe learn how to shop for groceries and have certain staples in the house um you know so that when there's a problem like we've just had this past week they don't have to buy everything yeah um and I hope that from this sad case that we're all experiencing right now, I hope that is something that people really take to heart. And, you know, just everybody doesn't have to do everything, um, but we all need to know how to do something. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. That makes yeah, sense. it does. It does because, like, you know, if we can all you know, when you think back, if you think back to times prior to now, you know, Mm -hmm. prior to everything being convenient, I mean, there was a lot of bartering, there was trading, trading of goods, trading of services. You -hmm. know, if you're an expert in your field, you're trading for X, Y, or Z. You know, I've been thinking a lot about some of the little things that like, what, how, like, if, if we lost like the, the open market that we have, like what things would I probably not be able to find access to? You know, like how would I ever find a zipper? How would I ever right. find like this or that? You know, like there's all these little things that are so unique and niche. But then it comes down to what can you learn to live without, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just kind of what I've been thinking about as we've been going through all this coronavirus stuff. But I know that, mm-hmm. you know, you probably have some decent ideas and like, what anybody can do to just kind of start that process of becoming more yeah. self-reliant, do you think? Yeah, I, I have a few things that I recommend people start with. And, and one is just knowing how to bake bread. Um, you know, that was one thing I was thinking about when people were like, there's no bread in the stores, there's no bread at all. And I was like, bread is so easy to make. It, it's intimidating for some reason to people but it is not hard. And if you don't know how to make bread, if you don't even have any idea how bread is made, I would say to people, find somebody in your neighborhood or your family who does and ask them to teach you. Just because you know how to do it doesn't mean you can't still buy your bread. If you want to go buy your bread every week, be my guest. But if you at least know how to make bread, then the next time the shelf is empty, you don't have to worry about that one factor. Mm. You can still have bread. Um, I kind of laughed at some of the people's comments, you know, what they were worrying about. I was like, I've never thought about that. You know, they were like, but I can't get lunch meat. And I was like, okay, well, what about a can of tuna? Oh, (laughs) yeah, I guess we could have that. You know, and I was like, yep, you could. Peanut butter and jelly always works too. Maybe an egg, you know. <laughs> I guess, you know, people are just very stuck on going to the deli and saying, I'm going to get my lunch and it's going to be lunch meat and that's going to be it. And, you know, there's a lot of things you can eat that maybe aren't what you normally eat, but they're still good. Um, the other thing, uh, another thing that I would say people need to do is learn how to repair their own clothing or uh, simple household goods. Um, you know, everything doesn't have to go in the trash. There's a lot of things we can fix. Um, you know, it's easy to sew buttons back on. And again, if you don't know how to do it, there's probably somebody in your family who still does know how to do it. So I would seek them out and ask, you know, how do I fix this? The seam broke, the seam ripped. How do I fix that? Mm-hmm. You know, and you might not want to wear that garment to work, but it doesn't mean it's not usable still. Um, so I think that's another one. Um, I think that we waste a lot of food. Um, For instance, people, you know, buy rotisserie chicken, for example, and they'll eat the meat and then they throw the chicken out. You know, the rest Mm. of it is gone. 
And, you know, there's probably at least two more meals there if you use that. Um, you could pick all the little scraps and make chicken salad. You can boil the bones and make soup. And, you know, so you've gotten at least three meals right there. And I've seen I've seen people post articles about how they've gotten six meals out of a chicken. And I, um, you know, I don't know if I'd go that far, but apparently you can. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's really, I mean, I think, I think all of those are great ideas and mm-hmm. I think if everybody picks up a couple of things, I mean, mm-hmm. I think it, it helps relieve anxiety too. Yeah. Um, the, the gardening is another thing. It's not hard. You know, you don't have to have a big plot of land to have a garden. Um, you can do container gardens. You basically just need some sunlight, some water and some soil and, you know, put in some seeds and you can easily grow lettuce greens uh, other kinds of greens radishes they're all easy to grow um you know and if you feel like you want to branch out from there you know put in some beans um plant a watermelon plant you know (laughs) yeah there's a lot of things that are not hard to grow sure Um, and i think that you just at the very least you can grow a salad um you know just greens and that's great nutrition for one thing. And, um, you know, you'll feel good about yourself too. When you go out to your back deck or whatever, wherever you put that pot of lettuce and you pick it for your salad, you're going to feel, you're going to feel pretty empowered. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think that it's, it's the nicest feeling to bring that all inside and, mm-hmm. you know, just have your own meal from it. But yeah. that's, yeah, that's a great, that's a great idea. And it's perfect timing for it too, because, you know, we're getting into spring now and, yeah, uh, and also we're all stuck at home. And so uh-huh. <laughs> I, I was, I was thinking about the timing of this um, pandemic and how it actually couldn't be better, you know, because at the very worst, we actually have the ability at this time of the year to start planting. So, you know, if you feel in any way like this might last longer than a couple weeks, you know, get your garden going, you know, you can provide for yourself. Um, and if you think that, you know, food stores are going to be interrupted here and there, you know, get some food in your garden. Um, it'll probably give you a lot of peace of mind. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what, uh, what about for you here? So what do you have, what do you have coming up in your future? Any big events or, are you possibly currently writing something? I am not writing a book this year. Um, I just had a new book come out last week. It was just released. It's, oh, uh, wow. 50, yeah, 50 do-it-yourself projects for keeping goats. Um, so it has a lot of projects that you can do yourself. Uh, I tend to go a lot into recycled projects. Uh, materials with my books um, so that you don't have to go and buy a lot of um, materials at the store. Um, So it tells you how to do everything from a hay rack, a salt block holder, uh, climbing things for little goats to play on, um, how to put up a lambing pen, I mean a a kidding pen, um, uh, how to make your own feed mixture, um, how to make soap, how to make uh, cheese, um, I even put in my favorite pizza recipe from crust all the way through because um, it's just some a recipe that we really enjoy. And I was like, well, I've got the goat cheese, goat mozzarella. I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and make the, make the sauce. So I put in all three of the, 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 the crust, the sauce and the cheese is in there. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I put in some, uh, a couple natural dye recipes. If you have fiber goats um, and you want to dye the, dye the uh, mohair, mohair dyes beautifully. So that's a great um, fun experiment to do. Um, yes. And it's the companion to the book I wrote in 2017 on chickens, the 50 do it yourself projects for keeping chickens, which is, they're both, they're very similar in, in layout and, and ideas and um, they're fun. And I think they're, I'm proud of them. They, they have a lot of ideas that you might not ever want to make, but they give you ideas of things you can do. And maybe you can take your own, put your own spin on it. 
sure. um, you know, housing, you know, coops, brooders, that kind of stuff in the chicken one. And then of course, um, goat pens and barns and structure field structures in the goat one. Um, and had some really good, um, goat keepers help me with it by sending in pictures from their properties and, and how they made certain things. So it's not just my voice in there. It's, um, goat keepers from across the country. So it's kind of a fun, it was fun to do it. Oh, cool. Well, so if, if people want to find you online or want to find, um, like your books or, Mm -hmm. or your blog, I mean, where can, where can we find you in general online? Yeah. Um, I'm on, I'm on all the social medias. I'm, I prefer Instagram. I am Timber Creek Farm and Homestead on Instagram. Um, on Facebook, I am Janet Garman Timber Creek Farm. And the blog is www.timbercreekfarmer.com. Um, because at the time Timber Creek Farm was gone, it wasn't available. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that one. Um, I'm also uh, on the leadership team for Homesteaders of America. Um, I work really closely with that group. Um, we have an event once a year in Virginia with um, speakers and classes, lectures, all kinds of different uh, homestead topics and vendors. Um, it's this is going to be our fourth year this year. Hopefully we won't get canceled because you asked me, do I have any other events coming up? And no, they've all been canceled. So oh, <laughs> that's okay. all the spring events have been canceled, but that that's okay. There'll be other springs. Um, and anyway, so I'm hoping that Homesteaders of America, since it's not until October, will be smooth sailing. Um, the website, homesteadersofamerica.com, Next week, we have a series of free videos going up on self-reliant living. Um, So a lot of the speakers from the past years are going to be putting YouTube videos on, um, showing you how to do certain aspects of uh, homesteading life. So I'm doing raised bed gardening and how to grow lettuce and other greens. Um, Cool. And every day there's a list of um, videos. So you can just, you know, check the Homesteaders of America website and it will, you know, if there's something that you're interested in, or if you want to see all of them, you can just travel around and find them all. So we're looking forward to that because we've got, like I said, in the very beginning of our conversation, we have, have gotten a huge response from the community on how to do things because one, everybody's home and two, they're wondering if they maybe should be learning something. So wow. um, we're happy to help. Yeah. That's exciting. I know I'll check that out for sure. <laughs> Good. <laughs> oh, well, Janet, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. You can find links to everything that we talked about today on the website, which is www.woolanddye.com slash podcast. That's W-O-O-L-A-N-D-D-Y-E dot com slash podcast. Until next time.